This is French Tech Podcast, where you'll find interviews of tech ecosystem actors sharing their stories with La French Tech London. We hope you enjoy it. Good morning, everybody. This is Elena Luni Botteri. I am the lead for the FinTech Group and on the board of French Tech London. And today, it's my pleasure to be in conversation with Anthony Woolley. Anthony, you have had a very successful career in innovation and tech in the corporate world with large banks. And this year, you have moved to a full-time entrepreneurship role. You are now a FinTech strategic advisor, a board member, and an investor for a number of startups. Could you share with us a bit more about your career and your current roles and responsibilities? Yes, indeed. Uh, firstly, absolute pleasure to be talking to you uh, all this morning, uh, especially during these, these, these interesting times. I think we'll talk about that in, in a moment. In terms of my career, I've, I've spent most of my career in capital markets, working for large banks on the technology side. Uh, so working for organizations such as Citi for many years, HSBC, uh, and more recently, SOCGEN. Uh, for much of that time, leading teams building electronic trading systems in areas such as foreign exchange and fixed income. More recently at SOCGEN, I was the Chief Information Officer in the UK. And a couple of years ago, moved into a strategic role as the Chief Innovation Officer for the bank. Uh, and it's through that that I've worked with uh, many startups. I think working with fintechs is, is highly motivational and also a little bit addictive. Uh, and ultimately, I, I made the move at the beginning of this year uh, to, to leave the large organization and work as a, an investor, as a strategic advisor with many companies. So it's been a very interesting timing for you to dive into entrepreneurship. How has COVID impacted your work and, and maybe even your life? I think there is a story there. Okay, so um, hasn't COVID impacted all of our lives? Um, it, it came at uh, really an interesting time for me. I think uh, as we go in, in the conversation, we can talk about whether it was very bad timing or very good timing. Uh, but what happened is I left a large organization, started working with startups, and then COVID struck. Um, and actually, my personal story is late in March, I was actually taken down with COVID. Uh, I was really out of action for three or four weeks. And uh, fortunately, never bad enough quite to be uh, hospitalized. Um, but it was certainly a period where, uh, of reflection, but I, I came through that period out of the other side and the whole world had changed. Uh, and I think what we found was that large institutions were rightly and governments rightly focusing on the health of their economies, um, that uh, they were focusing on, you know, how do we work from home? And nobody was really thinking strategically or really in a position to, to engage in conversations with startups and other people trying to grow their business. Uh, so at that period of time, everything had stopped. And I think all the startups were thinking, uh, what does this mean? Oh no, how do we adapt to this? Um, but I think what then happened is after uh, a month or two, um, I think everybody started understanding that beyond the health crisis that we were coming into a major economic crisis. Um, and it had everybody starting to think about what that meant. And certainly for a couple of the companies I'm working with, that actually provided some opportunity. I mean, as terrible as it sounds in a crisis, but a crisis is often a catalyst for change. So we can maybe expand on that a bit, but I, I think we've since then seen that if startups can adapt to the, the current environment, it actually provides uh, opportunity and actually a new way of engaging with potential clients and investors. 
So I, I would love to drill on that, you know, because you, you commented on uh, the work being propelled into uh, working remotely, which having been in large corporates before, you knew that wasn't necessarily and very easy to put in place and let put it this way, that is an acquired taste. You also spoke about this being also, while a crisis, an opportunity for startups to maybe adapt and uh, thrive in face of uh, unexpected difficulties. So can you share a little more, maybe from a tactical standpoint, you know, on the collaboration angle, how that can impact, you know, this situation of remote working, relationships between uh, investors, clients, startups, how do you make these guys all work together? Yes, it's interesting. I think in, in terms of the general environment and the changing culture we have um, of how everybody's interacting, I think for a startup, there, there's, there's downsides, but there's also benefits. Um, so traditionally, startups would spend a lot of time trying to engage potential clients and investors, traveling, flying, meeting people face to face. And all of that actually takes time. And what we've also found is that for the people we're trying to talk to, their lives have been turned upside down. And in some ways, that, that's made them busy. But in other ways, it's also given them a bit of space and opportunity when, when everybody's working from home. So what we found is that if you invest in, in uh, your networks and relationships, and for startups, I think, have become expert in using probably a dozen different video conferencing tools um, from Zoom to Google Meetup to, to everything else to engage, um, that actually it provides a great opportunity to reach more broadly and engage people on a global level. You quickly find that geography becomes less relevant. I find myself on a lot of Zoom calls with people elsewhere in Europe, in the US, in Asia. Um, and so in that sense, just irrespective of what the topic is the startup's engaging in, I think if, if, if you invest in how people are, are working at, at the moment in a quarantine situation, it can actually provide more opportunities to, to reach out to, to people that you need to talk to. And can you share more specific examples on, it, on about startups you are working with at the moment and how they have particularly reacted or maybe uh, modified their business model to adapt? Yeah, I, I can give you, um, I think, two, two really good examples, actually. Um, they're really quite, quite nice stories in, in a way. Um, one of the companies I'm, I'm working with is a company called Secretarium, uh, which is Latin for a secret place. Uh, and they have a platform that enables you to secure the cloud. Um, and they have really innovative privacy technology so that you can protect people's uh, privacy, their data, whether that's individuals or large corporates. Um, and they were working on, uh, they have various initiatives and various engagements with um, clients and potential clients. Um, and then COVID struck. And um, what became very clear is that in COVID, um, to, to actually get on top of this moving forward, the concept of uh, tracking and tracing people who are potentially infected with, with COVID is, is critical for governments. Uh, they do that manually, but also now uh, you see the emergence of these COVID track and trace applications from big, you know, Apple, Google, other companies. Um, and that's driven a whole conversation about privacy um, and concern about, okay, we, we, we need to track and trace, but are we giving up too much personal information when, when we do it? So the co-founders of Secretarium saw this and understood how their technology could adapt to that environment. Um, and what they, they've recently just been awarded a uh, government grant to, to actually work on a solution that actually enables you to interconnect different 
COVID track and trace applications without leaking people's private information between them. So beyond just the release of these applications we're starting to see on our phones all around the world, it will enable us, for instance, to uh, connect internationally to different COVID track and trace applications where maybe people start to fly again uh, without leaking information from one nation to another or from one system to another. Um, so I think it's a really nice story because it shows not only how the startup has adapted uh, to the environment, um, but really in terms of having a positive impact um, on the, the health as we come out of COVID, as well as um, from, a, from an economic point of view. The That's second, a very uh, good one. Yeah, you, you mentioned the second one. Yeah, no, I was going to say that the, the second company, again, very interesting. Um, one of the startups I'm working with, um, Onera, are building a network. Um, for private companies, for private companies to do issuances uh, and raise finance. And again, as I was saying before, early on in COVID, everybody was uh, just focused on, on the health uh, crisis and, and rightly so. Uh, and so there was very little engagement with that company. Um, but what they realized, and one of the co-founders wrote, wrote an article that, that spread on uh, Medium and, and LinkedIn, is that as we come through this economic crisis, Actually, the companies that need more help, arguably, uh, than anybody else, are the backbone of our economy, the large private companies. Uh, they're not in the position, such as large public companies, to, to easily raise financing. And maybe the support provided to much smaller companies uh, is not really of the right type or, or sufficient. And you find that private companies, the, the process of, of raising money is very manual, very torturous. And so Onera um, put a challenge to the industry is, can we put together the network uh, that can help private companies emerge from this crisis? And actually they've had tremendous engagement from large institutions, small institutions, um, and now driving uh, an industry initiative to stand up a network over the next six to 12 months that will make it easier for these private companies to raise financing. So again, uh, you know, a startup looking at the situation and thinking, how does that relate to what may, we may be able to offer uh, to help uh, in, in the current crisis? I think that that's a really good uh, transition for us to drill some more into economical impact of this crisis. Um, because we, we've also seen that as a response to, to the crisis shifting towards more uh, economic impact and, uh, and people more worried about what the consequences would be on society from that angle, we saw governments come out with uh, packages. So in particular, I'm thinking about the packages deployed by the UK government that you uh, probably read about. For you, is that good enough to help startups? Do you think uh, there should have been maybe other initiatives considered? Have you seen other measures that you think might have been more effective? I think if I focus on the UK, I think it's, it's always very easy to say we could do with more support for startups. Uh, but I think what the government has done is, is, is reasonably fair, actually. I mean, we're coming from a situation where the UK is actually very startup friendly, um, especially with the, the enterprise investment schemes, EIS, SEIS, and this has driven the whole fintech sector over, over recent years. Uh, the, the, the government had a big uh, announcement back in April pledging a billion pounds to support startups, a big number on the headline. I mean, it, it breaks down and there's a lot of detail. And then when you unpick it, it gets a little bit harder uh, to, for startups to understand how that they can 
benefit from some of that funding. But I think there are some, some good things in there. And especially I'd encourage startups to understand how the government is funding research and innovation. Um, just as I, I was saying with the example of Secretarium, uh, Innovate UK in, in particular, I think is a great fit and organization for uh, startups to potentially access uh, funding to, to help against government initiatives. So it could always be better, it could always also always be worse, but I think from a, a UK perspective and also balancing the broader uh, you know, economic landscape that, that the government's got to focus on helping the whole economy. You know, startups inherently live in a risky world, but on, on balance, I think it's, pretty, it's probably fair what, what has been done here. That's reassuring. I'd like now to go back to a topic we already alluded to briefly, which is, you know, any trends you, you saw emerging during this crisis. We, we briefly spoke about remote working, which has been an obvious one, and future of work is a topic on every single conference nowadays. But there, there was a lot more that got transformed into over the last two, three months uh, as we saw this uh, crisis unfold. So what have you seen and uh, what struck you uh, as interesting and is it uh, there to stay? Certainly to your last point, I don't think we're ever quite going back where we came from, right? I think that's also reflected in a cultural change uh, around the world. You know, I think in, in many ways, the COVID crisis may have uh, accelerated the kind of uh, digital transformation around being online, working flexibly, working from home. And maybe we've, we've uh, it's compressed what may have happened in the last five years into the last couple of months. Um, so certainly before the crisis, yeah, people would have had preconceptions that, of course, I can't run my business with all my employees sitting at home. You know, we see it in banking, you know, trade floors, you know, the, the concept of a trade floor even uh, not being in the, 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 the company's building would be unthinkable. Now these all become possibilities. Um, I was speaking to a large bank uh, the other week and, and they've actually successfully managed to operate their trade floor uh, with the right controls, etc., with people working uh, remotely. I think, you know, on a more domestic level, I, I can certainly see you know, I, I've got parents, et cetera, that are more vested now in online grocery deliveries. These kind of things that maybe other people have been doing for some time are becoming much broader and pervasive online shopping, et cetera. So I don't think we're going back. Um, I think this means that fundamentally, as simple as I could say it, there will be winners and losers. Um, I, I think in terms of fintechs in the startup sector, there's more opportunity to be a winner than a loser because fintechs have agility, they can pivot when they see an opportunity, they can uh, move to, to embrace it very quickly. Uh, so I think that uh, we, we're not going back and, and ultimately it should be an environment, as I say, crisis often uh, is a catalyst for change that provides opportunities for those who are prepared to go and embrace them. Very good. That, that, that's also a positive message for uh, entrepreneurs out there. FinTech, we, we believe you can make it and you can be very successful. That's, that's good to hear. We, we met, uh, Anthony, we met in a number of events, uh, in particular at accelerators and incubator events where you've been very involved, you've been a mentor for a long time. How do you expect their model to evolve? Because many of them were really anchored into this uh, you know, face-to-face collaboration model. Yes, that's true. And, and I think uh, as people started to get to grips with what was going on with everybody working from home, for the various accelerators, I imagine initially it was like, how do we function? 
a lot of the benefit of an accelerator is bringing people together in one place, whether that be startups, whether uh, that be potential clients, investors, institutions, and obviously all of that had stopped. Um, I think one, one way to uh, answer the question is to, to, to give a little bit of an example. Um, I work with a number of accelerators and uh, I have a good friend over uh, Alan and Overy, I think you also know Shruti runs the innovation program over there, and they've taken the next cohort of their whole program online. Um, and that's something I'm participating in with, with one of the startups. Uh, and that's proving to be very successful and uh, provides lots of uh, in, interesting opportunities. So uh, helping support startups understanding how do you pitch on Zoom effectively, right? How do you get your message across? Um, and how do you compensate for things like normally a face-to-face -face meeting, you can have the informal chats before or after, they tend to go. So what does that mean? And I think um, programs such as that um, are, are now managing to keep their community together, but keep their community together online. And um, so whether that's in uh, Zoom forums with all of the companies involved in a particular accelerator, WhatsApp groups, and also in, in some ways it can be easier to bring experts in. So you can see, you know, a law firm, uh, it, it's almost easier to take a little bit of a, a lawyer's time, for example, to, to talk about tax or uh, employee uh, management, these, these sorts of things, than maybe it would be to, to get them up from their, their office down into the accelerator uh, in the world that we, we used to have. So again, I think I'm probably in this podcast coming across as an optimist, which is maybe my nature also working uh, with, with these type of companies. Um, but I think that the, the best accelerators are finding a, a new way to function. And I think in, in time that will then balance between the physical presence and online as we emerge from all of this. Interesting. Carrying on on, on, this, uh, on this note of optimism, have you been positively surprised or impressed by some uh, good initiatives that have come out through this crisis? Yes, I, I mean, obviously I referred to, to the two previously, but I think you start to see it across many startups as, as you listen to them um, through these various forums. Um, and inherently, uh, startups, fintechs are digital businesses. Um, so they, they, there is an inherent advantage there from the outset in terms of how they can adapt uh, to the current situation. Um, so I, I, again, I think there was a lot of talk earlier in the crisis about whether this would have really negative effects on the fintech sector. Now I'm, I'm much more optimistic and you're starting to see that, that rebound and starting to see, you know, listening to many startups, they, they are adapting their business models and you can see how they're doing that in the current context. And you mentioned earlier, you know, in a couple of examples that, you know, basically being digital broadens your reach, gives you access to global resources, be it investors or expertise. So what are your thoughts on how it's going to transform the hiring process and, you know, access to talent, essentially? I think it, it does open up the market on a, on a global level, right? So, and I think startups tend to operate with software developers nearby, around them, etc. But I'm seeing more uh, companies that are leveraging on resources where it's most efficient for them to have those, those people. Uh, so, for example, there's a very dynamic... Uh, technology ecosystem in Tel Aviv. You see uh, startups in London starting to work with uh, development resources there. And you also see an interesting connection of ecosystems. So on the, uh, you know, the West Coast US, the Silicon Valley culture um, has tended to 
uh, not be so uh, connected or integrated uh, in, in Europe, for example. Um, but what we're starting to see is that uh, joint events online conferences we're seeing a lot of these virtual conferences which are not quite as uh, impactful as, uh, as physical ones but at the same time we're starting to see these happen on a global level where you get collaborations maybe west coast us with europe with asia uh, and people are connecting to these conferences at a distance in either earlier or later in the day uh, and that in and of, in of itself is driving a a changing culture where people are now more proactively collaborating with people at a distance than I think they were beforehand. So coming back to investing, what do you expect the impact of the crisis will be on the ability for startups to fundraise? Do you see liquidity still available in the market or on the contrary, maybe VC being more careful uh, about allocating funds to existing portfolio companies or, or taking bets on, on new ones? Yes, certainly um, there's been a pause uh, and also different VCs have been impacted in different ways by the crisis. Some, some are finding it harder, some have, some have benefited, um, but ultimately certainly startups are working with that uh, we're envisaging, uh, you know, rounds this year, you know, working with one that was looking for a series A a bit later this year, having to push that out. Um, so first thing I would say is that there's been a pause and that's delaying things. And then obviously there's the criticality that means for startups with limited runway. Um, so we are seeing companies that are having to go back to prior investors to raise a bit more, to extend their runway, to cope with, uh, to be able to do raises a bit later than they thought they would. Um, so that's an immediate impact. And, and uh, you know, the fintechs that, could be in real trouble are the ones that didn't have a long runway that haven't been able to keep the momentum and engage uh, in future investment rounds so i think it's going to be tough there for for some companies um and i maybe you know there's been a lot of vc money going into this sector the last few years and i think there was going to be a slight pullback anyway so i think for this pause thanks coming out of it there will be a little bit more caution as you said, I think the, there is a bit more prior priority VCs looking after their existing portfolios. So new startups looking to raise it is going to be difficult. Um, you know, overall, I, I think it's can can startups organise themselves to be effectively uh, moving forward into 2021, uh, and hopefully in 2021 we'll see more about getting into gear with VC investment rounds and and so on. That makes sense. So I guess, you know, as we, as we come to a close in this uh, conversation, I'd like to ask you, what's the next big move or exciting challenge for you once we get out of uh, this crisis situation? Um, I think I could answer that by saying it's already started in that I, I seem to be working long hours right now, even within the crisis, uh, working with various companies that have, have, are already thinking beyond the crisis, that already have some momentum. Um, and I see so uh, some great opportunities with a few of them uh, over the next year. Um, but we're not, I'm not waiting or, or thinking some, there's going to be some new opportunity down the road, September, October. Actually, uh, the one message I would give for everybody is the opportunity is right now. So if you're sitting waiting for something to happen, you're probably doing something wrong. It's, it's embracing the change, understanding how you can add value right now, and then hopefully 
you're already starting on that journey. And uh, for me, that new world has already started, I think, and uh, we already have a, a lot of momentum as, as we move forward and hopefully emerge from both the health and the economic crisis. That's a great message to leave the audience with. So uh, with this, I'd like to open up to Q&A and see if um, we have some questions. Marianne. Hi, Anthony. Thank you so much for everything you just discussed with Hélène and Marianne. And actually, I would have a question for you. You underlined during your discussion with Hélène some of the good initiatives that have been developed to cope with, uh, with COVID crisis, in particular, as far as uh, working methods are, are concerned. But at the same time, if we are honest, uh, we see that this crisis has, has taken everybody by surprise and showing that there are still uh, margins of improvement. And for the fintech sector in particular, which is known as generally really reactive and flexible, um, which are, according to you, the main lessons uh, we should learn from, from this crisis in case of uh, uh, it happens again, and in particular in the near future, as everyone is talking about uh, a second wave for the, for the pandemic. Thank you. Um, so your, your question is maybe some of the challenges as opposed to uh, the, the, the ways that people have adapted positively. I think there is a, uh, a, a, a natural retrenchment, right? So when a crisis like this happens, um, there's many large institutions are taking uh, maybe a, I could say a defensive stance and, and, and retrenching and, uh, and that's natural. Uh, but that, and then ultimately that can have some negative effects. It's, it's needed to protect your organization. Um, but I think it's uh, for, for large companies, I, I think, you know, agility and, and focusing on your clients should be the number one focus. So maybe it's possible that uh, for many companies, they may have stopped losing focus on, on their clients as, as they become more inward facing, thinking about how do we adapt to this crisis. Um, and but for those companies, I would encourage them to. Uh, get back and focus on their needs of the clients and if they focus on the needs of the clients that helps drive change agility uh, and to help them adapt to, to the new world. Uh, yes, uh, I have a question for Anthony. Anthony, thank you for being with us today. Uh, I'm Caroline and my question is uh, you mentioned the increased pace of the digital transformation uh, which is a current effect of the, the, the crisis and I was wondering how that will affect the relationship between traditional bank and fintech. We all know fintech and startups have the agility to, to move fast. And I was wondering if, if by any chance you know, but how this change or how the, the, the relationship between the traditional banks and fintech will, will be affected and how they will adapt. Yes, it's a really good question. Thank you. Um, for, for large companies, small companies, the last few years, it's actually been a, a challenge working together because there's so, so much cultural difference. There's, a, there's an understanding that both can benefit from one another, um, but maybe it's not always been clear the path uh, through that. Um, you've had a lot of large companies launch strategic corporate venture capital uh, businesses, you've had a lot of large companies doing pilots and POCs trying to understand what startups are doing. Um, certainly, as you say, you know, major impact of this uh, COVID crisis has been to accelerate digital transformation. Um, and I think this provides an opportunity to take the relationship between small and large companies to a new level. Um, for very large companies, I think they can benefit 
from some of the agility and the speed that fintechs can uh, move at and from a fintech point of view could very much benefit um, from the, the the scale of an organization uh, the the infrastructure they have the services they have certainly around the complexities of financial services uh, and then ultimately uh, jointly serving clients together um, so I, I, I think there is a, there is an opportunity for large and small companies to, to, to work closely together and maybe this cultural adaptation, this acceleration of digital transformation um, ha has helped bring the large companies closer to the small companies. So, uh, hi, Anthony. Uh, this is Martin. I have also a question. Uh, I'm not sure we've covered this already, but within the fintech industry, do you see any areas that are benefiting uh, from this crisis and uh, such as maybe uh, online payments or software or any fintech company we should ha have a close eye on, uh, which will show um, a dramatic um, benefit from the COVID crisis? Yes, uh, th thanks for the question, Martin. Um, I think more broadly, all online businesses have the potential to benefit, um, but some areas I think uh, that change is accelerating uh, more than others. So, uh, as you say, in payments, I think we're going to see uh, yeah, the, the further acceleration to online banking penetrating those parts of uh, society that had not yet reached. Um, so uh, I, I know, you know, parents, et cetera, are now actively taking that step of doing payments online, whereas before they may have been happy to check, check their balance online, but they wouldn't have started um, moving money around. That then provides opportunity, obviously, for fintechs in, in the payment sector. Um, and we're seeing, yeah, in many ways, the last few years, economies have pretty much gone a long way down the road to becoming cashless. You know, in the UK, we have faster payments. Everybody's used to tapping. And in fact, uh, shops and stores that are opening up post-COVID uh, are often saying they will only take card payments. So I think all of this is accelerating uh, what's going on in that space. And you can see areas that are right at the front of innovation, uh, such as, you know, adapting blockchain technology, right? The technology underneath these cryptocurrencies, adapting it to the traditional banking system. We're seeing acceleration in central banks talking about issuing digital currencies. Um, so I think for startups in, in that space, for example, um, it's moved the debate forward. And what maybe was seen as years away, uh, before the crisis is now seen within reach. And I think those sort of companies are in a better position to raise funding around some of those things that are really going to go and transform not just what's happening in retail banking, but also in wholesale banking, business to business banking. Um, and so I think startups in that space, B2B space in financial services is being accelerated coming out of this crisis. Anthony, I'd like to go back to your expertise in infrastructure and, and technology from maybe your, uh, your previous life and, uh, and ask you if uh, this uh, accelerated digital adoption has also helped and facilitate cloud adoption in terms of deployment. What do you think? Yes, I think I've, I've been asked a question in, in the past where people have said, what do you think is the most disruptive technology of the last few years? Uh, and I always say the most disruptive technology is cloud technology. Um, it's something that fintechs exploit very much to the benefit that once you can, as we say, virtualize infrastructure, the, the storage of, of data, uh, it means that startups have been able to create businesses much more cheaply 
than they would have been able to launch them, say, back in the dot-com boom of the 2000s. And on the other side, institutions have very expensive data centers. It's a big fixed cost for organizations where they have their own data centers, their own computers, etc. in them. Uh, and I think all of this is accelerating and people understanding that they need to embrace cloud technology. Um, at the same time, there are concerns about that. You know, where is your data stored? In which sovereign jurisdiction? Who owns it, etc.? And uh, for fear of a, 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 another plug, I think you know companies such as Tectarium I'm working with are starting to provide some of the answers so that people can feel confident about moving to those cloud technologies. Um, and I think to do that as well means you you have to address large companies have to address the problems of legacy technology they have to be able to adapt and move to the cloud. So I think moving to cloud is lowering the cost, but it's also providing the opportunity for companies to migrate uh, away from legacy systems they have. Uh, and ultimately that's providing new infrastructure and new rails uh, for the financial services industry. Okay, so Anthony, thank you so much for your time today and, uh, and your insight about uh, transformation um, we can expect from this crisis and some that are already in motion. Uh, you said it very well, the opportunity is now. I think it's a great message for our audience. Uh, go find it, go take it. Uh, so thank you so much for your time and uh, it was a pleasure having you. Likewise, absolute pleasure talking to you, thank you. This is it. Thank you for listening to French Tech Podcast by La French Tech London. We hope you enjoyed it. Find more episodes on our website, frenchtechlondon.com, and on your regular podcast channels. See you soon.